Galatians chapter 3, my subject this morning is our precious Redeemer. To this point in Galatians, we have followed Paul's contention with this young church. They were given the complete gospel at the beginning, Christ crucified. It's anchored completely and solely on the work that Jesus did. Works of the law, works of the flesh, while they may have their value in our human context, none of them will justify us before God. We are justified before the Father because solely of what the work was done by the Son in setting us free. Also, we read in chapter 2 of Galatians when Paul confronted Peter's hypocrisy, being afraid of peer opinions, and siding with those who would put bondage and chains on people. Then he talked about, last week, Abraham, that Abraham was justified not by the works he did, not by the family he started, but by his faith in God's direction for his life. And we looked at last week in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Paul has focused on what they had at the beginning. He has marveled that with what they had, that they would walk away from this freedom that we have in Jesus back into bondage even calls them foolish. And we learned last week what that word actually means in Greek. <laughs> but was the primary issue the freedom they left? Was the primary issue the bondage they were now embracing? Or was there a deeper point? Was there a more foundational thing that Paul was trying to communicate? Galatians chapter 3, I will begin reading in verse number 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Curses is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In the beginning, I want to focus on verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The end of chapter 2, Paul says, just before he calls them foolish, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. That word vain there literally means without cause, without purpose. Essentially, that the Lord's death on that cross was meaningless. So going back to humanity's rebellion in Genesis, life ever since then was under a curse. Pain that was never intended was introduced. Sorrow that was not part of the plan or design became a daily reality. 
and God's presence was possible, but the intimacy that Adam and Eve knew in the garden was lost. The ground was cursed. Life was cursed. All of a sudden, relationships became self-centered. But because of Jesus, we have been redeemed. We have been ransomed. We have been rescued. Jesus became the curse for you and me. He rescued us from a life that made no sense. He ransomed us back from the life created by Adam's rebellion. And let's be honest, before we start getting on Adam, he rescued us from the life our own rebellion created. And a debt was owed that had to be paid, and Jesus paid it. And a lot of talk this week about various political issues surrounding the topic of student loan forgiveness. Now, I am not getting into politics. I will never get into politics, at least not from behind here and nowhere else either. Only time will tell if any initiative, any government official has any merit. But what I want to drive home today is that when the people of God, when Christians who understand what Jesus did, hear the words together, debt and forgiveness, something inside us should draw us back to the cross. Because you and I had a debt we could not pay, and someone else stepped in and paid it. There should be something that in us that says, you know, I may not agree with this concept. I may not agree with how this is being implemented. It may not seem fair. But there was a time in history that was completely unfair. When Jesus, who had done nothing wrong, who lived a sinless life, paid for the sins of you and me. A debt we had no idea, and in our case, no possible way of repaying. And having someone pay the debt off. In our cases, the debt wasn't canceled. It was paid by someone who didn't incur the debt. And his name, church, is Jesus. We look in our culture today, and we tend to admire and lift up, and there may be a point of merit to it, the self-made person. We admire the mindset that someone who makes their own way. One of the most popular songs Frank Sinatra ever sang was My Way. He did it his way. We like to think that what we have is the sole result of our honest and hard work. We even have the old saying that all of us know, God helps those who help themselves. Everyone here knows that is not in the Bible. The concept is not in the Bible. While it's true that the biblical model for prosperity is to work hard and then manage well what God provides, but the biblical truth regarding God helps those who help themselves is just God helps. 
He helps the godly, downtrodden mom. He helps the hardworking man trying to provide. He helps the family that is struggling but trying to stay together and walk rightly. But you know what? God also helps the fool. He also helps the angry. He also helps those who are bitter. God reigns on the just and the unjust, and he makes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. That's the God you and I serve. So while there may be merit to working hard, and there may be a direct connection biblically between these things, when it comes to justifying our lives before Jesus, no matter how hard we work, without Jesus, we're under a curse. Going down to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Basically, Paul is saying the purpose of the law, it provided a blueprint for how far from God all of us really are. To show us that when God has a case against us, it's a justified case. Until the seed, Jesus, came. The law's purpose was to bring us face to face with our transgressions. And some would think, well, why would we need to know that? Everyone knows they're not perfect, right? <laughs> you ask someone if they're perfect, and the most common response is, well, I lead a good life. I'm okay. Or immediately they begin a comparison. Well, I'm better than, and they fill in the blank. The law showed us on our own that there was no possibility of escaping judgment. No amount of hard work could remove the curse brought by Adam. And this was categorically defined in the law. We needed salvation. Every good person on this planet needs salvation. Every hardworking person needs salvation. Every kind and loving individual needs salvation. And thankfully, not only do they need salvation, but they need a savior. And his name is Jesus. Everyone, including us, we needed deliverance. There is bondage everywhere we look. We are bound by so many different things. But thankfully, not only did we need deliverance, we have a deliverer. And because of the price of our sins, we needed redemption. And we have a redeemer. And his name is Jesus. The law of Moses was not a bad thing. It was a good law. It's God's law. But what it didn't have was redemptive ability because in order for it to be redemptive someone would have had to have been able to keep it and no one could until Jesus came you see people have a hard time with this word called sin people don't like that word well it was a little mistake I only told a little lie no one got hurt you see, the law didn't create sin. It just revealed it. It didn't produce it. 
but then Jesus came and redeemed us. And I have to wonder, with all the banter and all the polarization and all the arguing that we see among Christians about so many different issues, do we really understand what the Lord Jesus did for us? Do we really understand he redeemed us? Do we understand the sad, sinful state we were in? Do we understand that we were all at one point and remain without Jesus enemies of God? But then Jesus came and he brought redemption. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 20 says, For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We have been redeemed by Jesus. You know, when I think about all the, and they call it debase, um, uh, debating, and they say, well, we're just engaging in civil discourse. There's nothing civil about it. When the first time you hear someone who has an opinion that differs from you, you immediately assign them to followers of Satan. Jesus redeemed us. I was in a place where I was lost. That should make me a bit more gentle, a bit more kind. I was bought with a price, but I make my own way. I paid for my own stuff. No one gave me anything. Jesus offers eternal life. And without it, you can't get it. First Corinthians chapter 7, one chapter over in Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, verse 23. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. It really is either or. We were bought with a price. We were offered freedom. We were offered the ability to not be ruled by the mindsets and the issues of this world. And if we don't accept that redemption, we are slaves of men. I will say it again. We are redeemed. Not because of how awesome we are. And you all are awesome. Not because of how hard we work. And y'all work hard. Not because of the decent lives we live. Y'all live decent lives. At least I hope so. And not because of the amazing food this church can cook. But we are redeemed because Jesus paid our way. Simply, that's it. Jesus paid our way. He paid the price. He covered the debt. Isaiah 53, verse number 5, a verse all of us know, all of us recite. It's probably on a couple of mugs or, or plaques in, in people's homes. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, church, we are healed. We love to jump right away to the by his stripes, we are healed. But do we really understand that Jesus was wounded for you and me? He was wounded. That he was bruised and beaten because of you and me. 
the chastisement, the correction, or disciplinary action was given to him that you and I deserved because of you and me. Every blessing we have is because Jesus redeemed us. Every joy we can embrace is because Jesus redeemed us. Every moment of peace that we can experience is because Jesus redeemed us. Does this world need peace? It, they need to embrace that Jesus has redeemed them. Do we really understand the price Jesus paid for you and me? Do we really understand the price Jesus paid for our loved ones? Do we really understand the price Jesus paid for the people that we can't stand? Now, I know none of you have any people in your lives that you can't stand. You're all godly, pious, holy people. But for all those other Christians out there who have people they can't stand, and they've got to be some because the majority of the people on my Facebook page are Christians, and it's clear there are people they can't stand. But do we realize that Jesus paid the price for them also? Jesus paid the price for people who have hurt you to redeem them. Jesus paid the price for all. Going to the end of Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither... Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There is such power in those verses. This world is desperately looking for something to unify it something to rally around, something that is going to be true and unifying for everyone. They try politics. They try national boundaries. They try gender, skin color. They try even making nothing right, um, um, right so that means nothing's wrong. So I have something that the world can easily unify around. They are all lost. Everyone is lost. We can... Rally around that because it's true of everybody. We are all cursed, and that's the bad news. The good news is that there is another idea that we can unify around. It's the song we sang, Jesus is Lord, and he has redeemed us. We can all be one in Jesus, and the reality is it's the only concept. He's the only person we can be one in, and that's Jesus. National distinctions will fall away. I love my nation. Whenever I went to a foreign country and I presented my passport to those officials in that nation, I presented it proudly as an American citizen. But one day, it's not going to matter a least bit that you and I were Americans. What's going to matter is that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that Jesus' blood covers your sins. National distinctions will fall away. There is not going to be a European section of heaven. 
and an American section of heaven and a section for Southeast Asia. There will be heaven. And all that will matter is, are you a citizen of that great land? Class distinctions will fall away. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much money you don't have. Because one day, we're all going to be with him who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Class distinctions will fall away. And Paul makes a tremendous statement here that was as powerful today, but even more so back in the first century. There's no male or female. Gender distinctions will fall away. For you are all one in Christ. How can we, we be one in Jesus? Because he offers to cancel or pay everyone's debt. We were talking yesterday about the time that my wife and I had at the most recent Church of God International General Assembly. And one of the first nights we were there, we met up with a number of friends we haven't seen in a number of years. Uh, they pastor now uh, at, at a church in Georgia, uh, Pastor Javaris Wright. And there was a group of people. He had friends there that I hadn't met before, but we were able to begin fellowshipping. It was really a good time, and I don't know what possessed me. Who knows? Who, it could have been the Holy Ghost that possessed me. But when it came time for the bill, I just grabbed it and paid it for eight people. The look on their faces. What are you doing? And I just said, I'm blessing you. And thankfully, all they said was my two favorite words. Thank you. Otherwise, I was getting ready to preach. <laughs> I was getting ready. Just say thank you. When we think about what Jesus did for us, say thank you. Say it with your life. Say it with your words. Say it with your attitudes. Say it with how we treat one another. Thank you for redeeming me. Because he has enough redemption for everyone. What can bring people together? What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. An understanding of what Jesus did when he redeemed us. understand what he did for you and me he suffered for you and me he was lied about for you and me and he knew it was coming it was his whole purpose you and me old line from the an old song that's so true when he was on the cross I was on his mind and that's true for all of us that should soften us up a little bit. It just, it just seems everyone out there is just so angry. And that there was such a contrast yesterday. We're at the Lake Ronkonkoma Park. It was just so peaceful. It was, I didn't sense anger anywhere. It was just heavenly. Do we really understand? what Jesus did for us. Do our lives model that we understand that no, we're not self-made men and women. We're 
close to the king. We are bought with a price. We have been redeemed by a precious, precious redeemer. Stand with me, please.